Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another edition of 10,000 Pitchers presented by our good, good friends over at Stimulus Athletic. There are so many local, national, even worldwide soccer clubs who utilize Stimulus Athletic for their game gear and on and off the field apparel. You just look at the Anguilla national team. You look at local teams like Turbo Sports FC and Valora, teams nationwide like Tulsa Athletic. They all trust Stimulus Athletic to outfit them, and you should too. That is the exact reason why you should, because so many other great clubs do. Go to StimulusAthletic.com, and you just click that Get Started button, and you kind of fill out a form. If you have a design already, you just kind of want Stimulus Athletic to do it, by all means, go for it. If you don't have a design, they have a pretty great design team. The, if you look at the 10K kit, what we dropped last summer, that was done by Stimulus's design team, and everybody I know loves the 10K kit. So um, go to StimulusAthletic.com, click that Get Started button, and let Stimulus Athletic outfit your club with quality game gear and apparel at affordable prices. That consultation is free. It's free to just talk to them. So make sure you do that. Stimulusathletic.com. Click that Get Started button. And don't forget to let them know that Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. Here we go. Welcome, welcome, welcome in to another edition of 10,000 Pitches presented by our good friends over at Stimulus Athletic. This is episode 53 of the cast. So whether this is your first time or you've now tuned in to all 53 episodes, thank you so much for uh, giving us a listen. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do on your preferred podcast platform. You can also follow us on all socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there at 10K Pitches. Um, last week, had a really good conversation about all things lower league soccer with Small World Soccer owner and creator Danny Katula. Um, and uh, it was just a great conversation with him. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and do that. Uh, but this week, talking all things women's soccer. And there is a lot to talk about across the state of Minnesota and in the region on that front. So we brought in Matt Provratsky, founder and owner of Equal Time Soccer, We're talking about the USLW League and Minnesota's presence in that, We're talking about the Gophers head coaching search, WPSL, and more. So a great conversation with him. But this week, aside from the interview, your boy's going solo. No Ethan this week. Because if you're listening to this on Friday, I am out of town. I'm actually at my cousin's bachelor party. First time kind of uh, out in the wild, so to speak, post-COVID. So uh, they're all kind of younger, and I'm assuming I'm going to be more of like the chaperone in this situation. Not necessarily chaperone, but more like older brother type deal in this situation to all these uh, you know recent college grads. So uh, that will be interesting. So that's why I'm going solo this week. Um, not really much time to record uh, and much time to kind of put a time together with Ethan, Ethan to record with his, you know, playing at Aris and playing at Spartan and other stuff he has going on. So solo show this week outside of the interview with Matt. So let's get right into the lower league scoreboard, uh, starting in the NPSL North as always. And uh, the Saturday Scorchers, man, it was a hot one on Saturday. Uh, Dakota Fusion get their first win of the season, 3-0 over over uh, LC Aris there in Moorhead. Sioux Falls Thunder get a major upset win over Duluth FC 2-1, and the winner came in stoppage time on a free kick from Tyler Limmer. So shout-out to him, and shout-out to Sioux Falls uh, with the big upset over Duluth. And in the Battle of Unbeatens, Minneapolis City comes away with a 2-0 home win over Med City. So they stay undefeated. Uh, Med City, though, right there with them in the standings, uh, just three points back. So uh, really interesting in the NPSL North, but Minneapolis City sort of solidifies their top of the table standing with that 2-0 win 
over Med City. On Wednesday, Joy Athletic uh, traveled to Arcadia, Wisconsin, and took care of business 6-1 over El Sierras. Uh, Med City FC get the 4-0 road win in Sioux Falls, and then Minneapolis City continue to stay undefeated as they travel to Moorhead and knock off Dakota Fusion 5-2. Um, speaking of Saturday, I was in Park Center, at Park Center, I should say, in Brooklyn Park to witness history. As FC Minneapolis became the first team from Minnesota in 100 years to reach the USASA Region 2 Amateur Cup Final. And they did so in grand fashion, bell to bell, whistle to whistle, dominating the eight-time national champion Bavarians 3-0. This was impressive. I had a front row seat for it all. I was one of uh, eight people there at the Park Center turf fields. They couldn't get their normal stadium, so they basically just played on a turf field with no stands. You had to kind of bring a lawn chair, just kind of sit on the edge of the field if you wanted to watch this. So uh, definite lower league vibes there, but it was Awesome to watch this uh, FC Minneapolis team do what they did in advance to the final. Uh, they were obviously so excited, so stoked after that, and uh, I was excited for them. So very, very cool, as they now will take on the winner of Springfield and Ann Arbor FC. Neither of those teams have a very good social media presence. Uh, I'm sure they're great teams, so no offense to them, but uh, they don't have a very good social presence. So it's very tough to know if that match has already happened when it's going to happen, but they will play either Springfield FC in Illinois or Ann Arbor FC from Michigan in that amateur cup final on June 25th is when that match is going to take place. And then uh, over in the UPSL North, the UPSL Midwest conference, West division, before I went over to Brooklyn park, I was there at, uh, at Augsburg College, Ador Nelson Field, to watch Minneapolis City 2 stay atop the table in the UPSL North uh, via goal differential with a convincing 6-0 home win over Dakota Youngstars. Right there with them, level on points on the table, are Brooklyn Knights. Speaking of convincing, they handled Vlora 4-1 to on, uh, on Saturday. So they are right there. Again, level on points with Minneapolis City, but the Crows do have the advantage on goal differential there at the top of the UPSL table. And then Granite City traveled down to Rochester and came away with a 2-1 to win. So Granite City sort of staying on pace there as well. They're not level, but they are staying within striking distance of the top. And then on Wednesday, Turbo Sports got out to a 2-0 lead over FC Minneapolis. Obviously, they were coming off of their first win of the season over Inter. Uh, but the City Lions roared back and uh, earned a 2-2 draw there. It was also opening weekend in the WPSL, Women's Premier Soccer League. And Friday, Mankato United topped Fire SC 98-7-2. Salvo SC edged Minnesota Thunder 2-1. So that was kind of the opening night. I, there was a match earlier uh, in May to kind of kick off the season, but this was kind of the unofficial opening weekend there in the Northern Division for the WPSL. Uh, so Mankato United and Salvo getting wins there on Friday, kind of opening night there. And then Saturday, Maple Brook Fury and Rochester United drew 1-1 there in Maple Grove. Minnesota Thunder knocked off Mankato 3-1 on Sunday. And then Wednesday, Rochester and Mankato drew 2-2. So as of now, Rochester United and Mankato United kind of share the top of the table spot on four points each um, as we are heading kind of out of opening weekend, opening week there in the WPSL. Uh, talking more, obviously, on the conference and what to know about the conference with Matt Pervatsky a little bit later on. Um, also, this weekend, the WPASL continued, the uh, Wisconsin Primary Amateur Soccer League, and there were three matches on Sunday. Poskin Jets got their first on-field win of the season, doubling up FC Menemo 4-2. to 
Lobos Edge Baron three to two, and then the inaugural Connect Four Derby. Hayward Wolfpack came from behind to get three points over league leading Batoa FC. Four to three was the final there. Wolfpack now level on points with Batoa at the top of the table. But Bateau has been kind of doing the work early on in the season to build a significant goal differential advantage there at the top. So a lot of exciting stuff happening in the WPASL. Uh, the Connect Four Derby actually has a trophy, and it's like a golden Connect Four, which is the trophy. It's, in my opinion, the best trophy in lower league soccer, uh, but very, very cool. Uh, to see them, uh, to see that match happen, and to see the trophy and uh, Hayward Wolfpack obviously coming up with the big win there. Moving up into USL League One, forward Madison fell to Union Omaha two to one at Bree Stevens on Sunday. Another own goal for the Mingos in the first half of this one. That's their second own goal in as many matches. Jake Keegan on the positive side stayed hot and uh, got Madison's lone goal. Um, Omaha now though is at the top of USL League One, so no. Uh, you know, nothing to hang your head on if you're Madison kind of, you know, falling to the league leaders there, 2-1. Uh, but the Mingos will be back at it on Saturday looking to get back in the win column. And it's a big one. Not only is it the Henny Derby against Richmond, but it'll be in front of a near-full capacity Breeze-Stevens field. Um, that match happening at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. And special shout-outs to former Minnesota United and current forward Madison head coach Carl Craig. Just four matches in to his tenure in USL League 1. He is the USL League One Coach of the Month for May. So congrats to him. Another storylines, USL reviving their women's W League, which originally kicked off early in the 2010s. It folded in 2015. They're bringing it back, and Minnesota are one of the eight founding clubs. Uh, what do we know about this Minnesota club? Well, they will be community-owned, which is pretty cool, and women-led, obviously. There's a launch party on Sunday at Elizabeth Lyle Robbie Stadium at the U of M campus. Uh, 3 o'clock is the starting time for that free admission, and I'm sure we'll get a little bit more info Maybe learn who the owners of this team are. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. MNWOSO.com, MNWOSO.com, if you want to learn more about Minnesota's USLW League team with that league kicking off in 2022. Perfect lead in here as we will learn more about the USLW League, Minnesota's presence, and all things going on women's soccer in the state of Minnesota with Matt Pravratsky from Equal Time Soccer. But first, let me tell you about our newest sponsor, Surfshark VPN. Protecting your online data and information, especially in a COVID or post-COVID era, is more important now than it has ever been. Hackers, fishers, email spammers, they are absolutely licking their chops right now because things like remote work and overall more time spent online means more victims. Don't let that be you. Surfshark VPN protects your online data so you can browse and work with the peace of mind knowing that you're doing so safely and securely. Surfshark has a super fast connection so your online experience will be uninterrupted. And if you look at any tech magazine or online resource, Surfshark consistently in the top two or top three and their price blows their competitors absolutely out of the water. Right now, you can get two years of full Surfshark VPN service on unlimited devices for just $2.49 per month. That's $2.49 per 
month. You will not find a better deal than this. Just visit surfshark.deals slash 10K. That's surfshark, S-U-R-F-S-H-A-R-K dot deals, D-E-A-L-S slash the number 10 K one zero K and you'll get that Surfshark VPN for just two forty nine per month. Thank you so much to Surfshark for sponsoring 10,000 pitches. And as always, I implore you, I ask you, please support the great companies and businesses that support 10 K. All right. Now on to this week's interview. All right. Now joining the show is the founder and owner of equal time soccer, covering women's soccer at all levels across the state of Minnesota. It's Matt Pravatsky. Matt, how are you, man? Thanks for joining the show again. Thanks for having me back. I don't know, like, you know, how many folks have been repeat guests. I'm going to start keeping track now. I need to make sure I get the credit where credit is due. Thanks absolutely, for having me. Absolutely. I mean, I think I can count on one hand at this point, the number of reoccurring guests we've had. So uh, very excited to have you on once again. Um, I can't remember which episode. If I would have done my homework, I would have went back and saw which episode we had you on before. Uh, it was a while back. It was like in the fall, yep. I think. So just go back mm-hmm. and check it out. Uh, yep. Excellent interview with Matt. Uh, Pre-Gopher season. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of gopher headlines to get to a little bit later on, but the main talking mm-hmm. point here, as just announced officially today, uh, Minnesota will be one of eight founding clubs in the newly revived USLW League, set to begin mm-hmm. play here in 2022. The club will be women-led and under a unique community ownership structure. Now, this was originally reported by The Athletic Soccer on Monday. Um, Matt, when you first heard this news, whether it was from the athletic or your own sources prior, uh, what were just your initial thoughts and impressions when you first heard that this was going to become a thing? I think, you know, it's really interesting. This is just a time in women's soccer where there's a lot of new leagues under discussion and it's because there's, you know, a realization that, oh yeah, there's an entire market, um, that is still, um, uh, not fully tapped, which is hard to believe given the number of sort of summer leagues and, um, you know, lower division, uh, leagues that exist like the WPS, the, the UWS, WPSL, the UWS, um, you know, NISA getting into the the women's soccer game with their WISA league. Um, so I think for me, it was just another recognition of, wow, these are, this is another league that wants to invest in women's soccer and have a national footprint. Um, you know, one of the most interesting things at the league level was that, you know, they came in right away wanting to have 30 teams nationwide. And that's, that was understandable because to really make it work for some of these clubs financially, you have to have regional conferences where they can make the travel work and where you can have sort of, you're not doing flights, you're, you're doing buses and you're, you know, limiting hotel costs and all those things. And so, you know, I think that was one of the things that jumped out to me. I think, Minnesota being one of the clubs is um, both really cool, but not, not necessarily shocking. I think yeah. for the, for the USL, one of the unique things about that particular league at every single level, you know, they have their championship, they have their league one, they have their league two. And now, and now the women's league as well, they don't have any presence in the twin cities market. And that's insane for a soccer league to yeah. not have a presence here, just given one, its size as a media market, and two, its track record of supporting soccer at all levels. Um, and so I think when I saw it, it was just a really interesting thing. Obviously, the, the Minnesota club itself is really, really cool. I think, um, you know, community ownership is not completely unknown in the soccer world, but I don't think there's a single women's club that I've seen in this country that has done that model. I think the most well-known models in the United States for um, community-owned supporter-owned clubs are Chattanooga, Detroit FC, um, Oakland Roots, and these are really successful 
lower division men's clubs that have just sort of built their community and succeeded that way. Um, and I think doing that on the women's side makes a ton of sense. I think because frankly, there's a lot of soccer fans who sort of talk the talk and say, yeah. oh, we support women and we do this. And oh, the national team is so great. And NWSL is growing and all that stuff. But I think giving fans a chance to support a team in their local market directly and have a say in the club is a really, really cool strategy. So I think mm -hmm. my initial reaction was just to say it makes sense to, you know, keep growing the women's game as much as you can. And I think the, the USL has shown sort of an entrepreneurial spirit in general. I don't follow the men's side as closely as others, but, you know, Jeff Ruder, who's based in Minnesota and others have covered that league really extensively and they have a lot of experience across the country. So I think it's a really exciting opportunity just to um, have them fill whatever niche they can in this market and in the Midwest. Let's get back to this community ownership structure, because this comes at an interesting time. I mean, just a couple of months ago, we saw the European Super League situation, where is literally people wanting to kind of flip it and make this happen, right? You talk about billionaire owners who are just trying to put money in their own pockets. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe this starts a trend now where communities kind of take it into their own hands and say, no, we mm -hmm. want to own this club and we want to have a say in this club. But what does a community ownership structure really look like? Um, mm -hmm. compared to a traditional ownership structure and how will that make this Minnesota club so unique? Kind of what will that process be like? Yeah, I think um, one way to think about it is if you if you follow women's soccer super in depth or even if you don't, if, if you follow like even on the men's side, Minneapolis City, but on the women's side, all the WPSL teams are essentially at roughly the same type of level. Players are not being paid. They're really high level college players or players who could be um, professionals at some level as well. And I think what you see a lot of those clubs coming out of is just a traditional club structure. So youth, a youth soccer club happens to add what they view as the next age group. And then they happen to have sort of an adult soccer team. And what you see with that model is then those teams are sort of treated like they're a youth soccer team. They're not marketed to adults. They're not really driven to be, um, anything anything professional on the marketing and promotion and fan engagement side and so i think in particular a community a community owned club as you said um at the professional ranks sort of the corporate vibes of of all these different clubs is sort of putting certain types of fans off and, and then at the lower divisions i think a lot of them are still treated almost like a youth club yep. and so i think this hits a sweet spot where you can find people supporting a really hyper local team right in their community but then they also get to have some sort of buy-in. And so I think, um, you know, what you've seen in some of those other clubs and what it actually looks like on the ground, um, folks like Chattanooga, folks like Detroit FC, usually what they do is the supporters, the supporter owners have a certain amount of seats on the board, one or two seats on the board. Um, usually those supporter owners are given the ability to vote on key decisions. So it, it differs by every club. So are, do they get to vote on, you know, in the case of Minnesota, will they get to vote on the team name? Will they get to vote on, you know, the jersey? Will they get to vote on all these other things? I think those are sort of the interesting things the club can play with and where, you know, Chattanooga and Detroit and Oakland have had some wiggle room. And I also think, frankly, just on the soccer side in general, um, Chicago, the NISA club um, in, in Chicago has really done the same type of thing where they come in with sort of a temporary branding and come in and 
um, pursue uh, a lot of community-driven decision-making. So even if they're not community-owned, there's some community decision-making. And I think it's just like the next level of supporter culture that you're enabling where you say, we only exist because of you. And so we want you to have a say in what we do. And frankly, I think it's probably good business as well because if fans are having a say in what the club is doing, they're also investing more and more. So I, I think it's a really exciting thing. Um, and it's, uh, as far as I can tell, it's unique to women's soccer. So I think it'll be really interesting. You're crushing my dreams a little here, a little bit here, Matt, because I'm, I, I think of community owned club and I think of nine people around a table in the back room of the black heart, all kind of uh, three beers in making decisions on behalf of the club. You're telling me that's not, that's not going to happen uh, in this case. I, I don't know if that's going to happen. I think you will have to go to that club event on Sunday. You know, Equal Time is going to live stream that event on Sunday at Elizabeth Lowry Stadium. Um, and for folks who've never been to that stadium, by the way, use this event as an excuse to go check out that pitch. Because if you have not been there and you just started following stuff during COVID or just before COVID, go to that event because that field is ridiculous. It's the best pitch in the state. It's probably not even close. It's a gorgeous stadium, you know, seats about a thousand people. Um, and so honestly, I mean, go and go and ask that question, Jeremy, Gr grill folks, ask them <laughs> if they'll be hang hanging out at the bar, uh, making those decisions. Cause yeah. I do, I do think the idea of community ownership also hits at this thing where in women's soccer, you know, everyone dreams of NWSL expansion. And so, so you sort of have this thing where it's like, oh, when's someone going to bring a team? And so I think community ownership and the reason this community group came together was probably the idea of, you know what? We don't have to wait. Let's make a team. Let's let's jump in and let's see what we can do. Definitely. Um, so the league itself is labeled as sort of this pre-professional path to professional soccer, mm -hmm. but it's still an amateur league. And you actually tweeted mm -hmm. this uh, from Equal Time earlier today that, you know, mm -hmm. it, on the surface, this really isn't much different than the UWS or the WPSL and the fact that this is these girls are not getting paid. Uh, mm -hmm. But the USL does seem to be working really hard, at least from a marketing standpoint early on, to just mm -hmm. make this seem bigger. Yeah, um, I know it's early, but mm -hmm. do you think this will be bigger in terms of on-field quality, club investments, mm -hmm. or is it just perception that this is going to be bigger? I are they just trying to paint it as bigger? Yeah, I think in that tweet, I was sort of getting at this very question. And I think my, my gut instinct is it's up to the league and the teams to make it different. And I think the early signals, as you said, are that they do want it to be different because this mm -hmm. launch was very professional. Mm -hmm. um, it was very, and you know, they only announced eight teams and they said yeah. they want to have a 30 team footprint. And so we haven't even seen the vast majority of these clubs unveiled yet. And so in the Midwest, you know, Minnesota was the only Midwest team um, discussed today. I think we'll see others. I think a certain number of USL men's teams were sort of, their supporters groups were sort of getting in tongue in cheek, like tweeting about, oh my God, if we don't, you know, Madison supporters were yeah, saying, if we don't I get one. A oh, bunch of people, Omaha. somebody made a kit. Somebody made a, a badge <laughs> and a kit already for the Madison team. And it's amazing. I mean, it's like the Wisconsin I mean, siege or something like that. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I think, I mean, if Minnesota is in, there has to be a Midwest team. So who is it going to be? I think that's really yeah. exciting. We'll be able to see, but to your earlier point, I just think, you know, one thing that people really don't talk about a ton is a lot of these amateur or non-professional leagues in the summer or lower division leagues in the summer, they're asking their pay, their players to pay to play, mm -hmm. which you, I just, 
pay to play is sort of a, it's a talking point. It's a topic in soccer in general. I don't think we talk about it enough at this precise level of soccer where these are really, really, really high level soccer players. And in order to play in the summer, they're being asked to pay a thousand bucks a summer, you know, Mm -hmm. for the privilege of playing on this team where they're not being paid. And I just, I just think, for example, in Minnesota, none of the women's teams that exist have a women coach, have a woman coach. All of them make their team, their players pay. So just in those two factors, I think there's a huge opportunity for the USL to come in and say, we're trying to do things differently. We want to have a true professional environment, even if these players aren't getting paid. And I think one other thing to keep in mind, if you're a Minnesota fan, um, a lot of the women with Minnesota connections who are playing professionally right now play overseas and they're on European calendars. And what that means is um, they actually have summers off. And so, you know, those calendars run from fall to spring. And so, for instance, you know, we just saw uh, Rashida Beal run, won the Romanian League and the Romanian Cup. Molly yeah. Fiedler just won the Serbian Cup with uh, Subatica Spartak. And th- then those women come back. And this summer, Molly Fiedler is playing on, on the Salvo soccer team in the WPSL. Emily Heslin is playing in the WPSL. They're not getting paid there. They're paying to play. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the professional players that have Minnesota connections are already have summers uh, uh, free in their opportunity to gain exposure. And I think if the USL is set up in a way that they can market and promote these players, it's going to be a no brainer for those players to choose to play at this level. And I think um, coming in with a national footprint, having experience promoting uh, their teams professionally at the USL levels on the men's side, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if they can claim that market because I think it still exists, even though um, the quote unquote amateur space is somewhat crowded. As far as the founding clubs go, this Minnesota team, Minnesota team is pretty unique in the fact that it's not attached to another existing club, mm-hmm. right? We have the USL clubs like Tormenta, Greenville and others mm-hmm. um, who are just kind of adding a women's side to what they're doing. DC mm-hmm. United's ownership is very much involved in the Washington DC team. Whereas Minnesota's, mm-hmm. as we as we mentioned, is uh, is going to be community led. Um, mm-hmm. Where does c- compared to those other teams, at least from the founding clubs, do you see it as more of an advantage or more of a disadvantage that this team is going to be more independent? I guess, for lack of a better term. I think my my personal bias has always been that when a men's club adds a women's team, even if they truly invest in them and truly give them 50-50 status, I would just say they always have some degree of sort of secondhand um, Mm -hmm. treatment. And so in my opinion, I think being a truly independent only women's soccer club is a really nice structure. I, you know, I'm not naive. I understand having both sides gives you the benefit of you can have staff work, work both issues. You can have, you know, ticket ticket staff that do, you know, both teams, uh, marketing staff that do both teams. But I personally think that independent status is a real asset, especially because um, it's just an opportunity for women to be first and foremost, the number one priority from jump. And I think the team was smart in sort of highlighting that early and saying they're going to be, you know, women led. I think that's a big deal. And frankly, it shouldn't be as big of a deal as it is. Um, You know, we shouldn't be sitting here talking about the fact that, you know, it's actually really rare to have women in leadership roles in women's soccer. That should not be a crazy thing to say. Um, But, you know, the truth is it still is. And so I think it's, it's really exciting to see a team embrace that from jump. Um, And as you said, 
it's also going to be really fun for them to be able to compete against some of these clubs that have a really strong existing fan base, whether it's the, you know, the teams nearby in USL that everyone on soccer Twitter is obsessed with. I just, I think they'll, they'll walk into having both the benefits of being independent themselves, but also the benefits of competing against really longstanding soccer brands in those other markets. So I think it's a, it's a great mix. Awesome. Um, so the official club announcement, as you mentioned, comes at a special event Sunday at Elizabeth Law Robbie Stadium on, on the U of M campus. Starts at 3 p.m., food trucks, live music. Talk about the pitch. You can actually go on the pitch and kick the ball around if you want to. Kind of cool. Um, yep. What do you expect us to learn from this event? Um, is it just kind of a get-together, or will we get a name, head coach, any details, any additional details at this event that we don't already have? I would, I would expect at least um... – like I would expect to learn about who those community owners are. I think that's obviously, you know, maybe an obvious point that they will be the ones speaking and running a program and all those things. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's tough. They're not, this team isn't playing until next summer. So I don't know that we'll find out about um, coach and all those other things just because it still is a little ways away, but I think we'll find out who this group is that's pulled it together. I think, um, we'll find out more about the goals of the community ownership and what that looks like, sort of what the timeline for that is and when folks can actually like put their dollars on the line and, yeah. you know, throw their, throw their credit card down and become a community owner. So I think the, I think that will probably be the biggest thing to expect to see just because to be honest, a lot of these clubs that run during the summer season don't typically recruit their players until like late fall and winter. So I, I don't know that we'll start hearing about sort of coaches, players, um, uh, home field type stuff, because frankly, the soccer part in for these leagues really tends to come apart, come together later in the year. So I think those will be the things we'll have to wait for. But I think by the time folks show up at that event, I think they can expect to sort of probably learn more about you know who the actual group is who's the one holding the microphone all that stuff yep absolutely um so final question on this topic and we'll move over to a couple of different topics um as someone who covers women's soccer in the state mm -hmm. is obviously very invested in the continued growth of women's soccer as a whole both in the state and nationwide uh what does this mean to you that usl feels confident enough a in that growth mm -hmm. to restart the a league that failed just six mm -hmm. years ago and local, that local ownership group is confident enough in investing in a club specifically here in Minnesota. What does that mean to you as somebody who is, who is covering this on a daily basis? I think it really demonstrates the difference that we're, we're in right now compared to six years ago. I just think, you know, even the NWSL then was brand new and people still thought was quote unquote, a risky investment. And I think um, we've finally turned a corner. I think the NWSL is obviously without a doubt, you know, here to stay. They're expanding in, mm -hmm. you know, in LA. We just heard today they're officially expanding in San Diego as well. Um, and so I think what that's done is it's created an environment where people want to invest versus sort of save their, you know, save their money. And I think uh, for them to be in Minnesota is a huge, huge deal. Um, the USL is a league that has experience in just dozens and dozens of markets across the country. And so for them to choose Minnesota is exciting. And, you know, for this community ownership group to, to make that a reality is exciting. So I think it's, I think it's going to be a really, really fun um, club to follow. If you saw all the announcement work that, you yeah. know, MN Woso was doing on all the different channels, they're clearly hustling. They're clearly, you know, yeah. grinding. They're trying to get out there and spread the word. And, just that level of engagement is something we don't often see, you know, certain, certain clubs like Mankato really work it hard in the WPSL. They do a great job. 
Um, but you know, it's still, it's still rare, frankly, in that space. So I think, I think it's exciting. Is there any sense, obviously this is, this is really exciting and the organization is doing a great job and the, you know, all, all roads seem to be pointing towards this league doing really well, but is there any sense of just minor disappointment that it's not in WSL in your, in your mind? (laughs) I mean, I think uh, my, my just having a random surprise NWSL announcement hopes uh, faded away a long time ago, only because um, I think we've seen even at the NWSL level that uh, getting an ownership group together for a team in that league is really hard. We've seen it sort of ebb and flow. The Sacramento group backed out, then they kind of came back in, then they, then they're down in San Diego, you know, um, Louisville came together, but there was sort of a timeline thing of when are they going to be coming together? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just, I think we've seen that it is actually hard to come in and and have an ownership group. So uh, yeah, there is disappointment, but only because there's continuing ongoing uh, just yearning to to have that club in Minnesota. But I actually think the USL, if they're run, if this league is run, the W league is run really well and teams succeed. I actually think could be sort of a proving ground where if a club establishes itself, it could actually be a launching pad to that level too. I mean, yeah. um, if a team is run professionally, if they do a decent broadcast, if they market the fans, if they sell, sell merchandise, do all those mm-hmm. things. I don't think there's any reason um, to doubt that, you know, at least a club or two at this type of level could actually establish itself and then get the investment needed to sort of make that jump, honestly. All right. So again, Sunday, 3 p.m., Elizabeth Law Robbie Stadium over there on the campus of U of M, the official uh, club announcements event for uh, Minnesota women's soccer, the USL W League team um, at MNWOSO or MNWOSO on dot com for all the information on that. Mm -hmm. Let's transition, though, to another big talking point in Minnesota women's soccer, and that's at the U. Um, currently they're looking for a new head women's soccer coach after Stephanie Galan's departure to Missouri back in May, going back to her home state. Um, even though it is her home state, Matt, how shocking was this news to the players in the program? I think players and um, folks who are close to the program were pretty surprised. They were, they were definitely more surprised than me. I was surprised too, but I would say some of those folks were actually shocked. Um, and I think part of it is just that, uh, in women's soccer and in soccer in general, in the college game, those those power five head coaching jobs can be really sort of um, comfortable in the sense that they're really they're solidly paid. Um, you get a chance to sort of have a lot of nice facilities, all those different things. And so I think people can be sort of lulled into a sense of we might have this coach for 25 or 30 years like mm-hmm. this might be her final stop. Um, I think in particular just the very nature of, of coaching and sports and even just honestly, any job you have, I actually think there's sort of a natural point where a change of scenery makes sense for both parties. And I think that's likely what happened here. I, there was no, you know, there's no instigating event. There's no like behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I've, you know, talked to people on every angle of this. It's just the fact that I think she saw an opportunity she liked and a change of scenery sounded nice. And so I think Mm -hmm. for her and her boys, you know, she, she moved her two sons down there. She, you know, from Missouri, like you said, and they're, you know, they, they play in the SEC. I mean, it's a, it's a legit gig. A lot, most people have asked me sort of why would someone leave Minnesota for that gig? And I think on paper, they're similar programs, but the truth is that change of scenery, I think is, is what it goes down to. So 
players were surprised. Um, they, they, some of them were pretty shocked, but at the same time, I think for them, it can also be a fun change of pace as well. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Steph was well liked by staff and players. I have a really deep respect for what she's done for the program, but at the same time, anytime a new coach is coming in as a player, you can always use that as an opportunity. So I think yeah. there's equal amounts of sort of anxiety when it came out um, to now being sort of just really anxious and curious to see like, who's going to be writing the lineup card. Mm -hmm. My next question was actually going to be whether you saw this as a step up, step down or a lateral move for her, but it sounds like it's just, it's just different more than anything. I think, and I think for her, you know, she had been here, she had experienced the athletic department. She knew what she was going to get in terms of contract offers and extensions here. Um, And she knew what other programs were offering. I think I mentioned in my piece summarizing the coaching search, you know, back whenever May 27th, whenever it was. And, there were times where lesser coaches in the big 10 were getting better contracts than her. I mean, that was something that I talked to multiple people about and like the coaching, the coaching circles are not that big. Like people Mm -hmm. talk and they all know that. And that was sort of a a murmur amongst coaches in the big 10. And so in, I mean, honestly in pay, it would not shock me at all if it was a very real upgrade only because she'd been here a long time. And I don't think um, her raises kept tracking. I think, Mm-hmm. The Minnesota, if anyone has ever had to watch an athletics department presentation to the finance committee at the board of regents, which I have before, they really like to be in the median of the big 10 overall. Yeah. And so that means if you already have a longtime coach, who's been getting some raises just based on how everyone else is hiring, maybe they s- stick you here and they're not yeah. going to go much higher. And so I think I I think it's very likely that it was a really solid pay increase for her, but I think the programs are fairly similar. I mean, Missouri is not lighting the world on fire any more than Minnesota is. They're both very competitive. They're both very good programs. Both of these jobs are really, really good. I mean, there are only so many of these types of jobs in women's college soccer, and uh, I'm sure the applicant pool for both would have been absolutely outstanding. And I'm sure, honestly, when Missouri's job opened up because they had a a decades long veteran who announced his retirement and they knew it was coming. I, I promise you they had been reaching up to Steph as a Missouri native saying, yeah. want to come a few hours South. Like I'm sure yeah. they were doing that. Absolutely. Um, so we see this in college basketball and football all the time where a, a coach leaves and all of a sudden some recruits decide that they're either going to follow the coach or reopen their recruitment. Same with transfers um, that you may get some new transfers and new recruits from this, from a new head coach. Um, have mm-hmm. we seen that those sort of implications here? Do we normally see these implications from a women's soccer standpoint? And have we seen any of those transfer or recruiting implications after uh, Steph Galan's departure? I think you traditionally probably would see some of it. I think one of the interesting factors here is the timing. So usually, um, as it was described to me from from a coach I talked to, usually the head coaching carousel happens in the winter because the fall season gets done and then head coaches move. And then usually this time of the year is the assistant coaching carousel where like new head coaches have come, they're hiring new assistants and then the shuffle continues. So what's unique right now is that, you know, a head coaching vacancy is happening in late May and June. And the reason that matters is because we sort of forget that these colleges are schools and that admissions processes have to take place. And so, for instance, when Katie Duong wanted to transfer from the U to Stanford, 
it wasn't whether the team wanted her. She had to apply and get yeah. into an incredibly academically high achieving college. Yeah, and exactly. So, so she wasn't waiting to be offered a scholarship. She was yeah. waiting for the admission staff to review her application and make a decision wow. on whether this, on whether sophomore student from Minnesota could transfer to Stanford. Like it was, it was not an athletics thing. It's an academics thing. And so the thing about having a vacancy now is not to be too callous about it, but players really kind of couldn't leave now if they wanted to, because they would have had to already apply at other programs and similar to gaining new transfers. So let's pretend we get a, a really exciting new coach that gets announced 10 days from now. There's not really an opportunity to add new transfers unless they were already in the transfer portal and had applied to Minnesota and gotten in already. So if someone was really, really proactive and was in the portal early, I think we could see them. I mean, granted, about seven-ish days ago, we did see a new gopher transfer announce, Krista Von Loon, who's from Texas yep. and should be a nice attacking rotation player. Great minimum. Minnesota soccer name, by the way. Oh, God. Was it you that <laughs> tweeted that? Someone tweeted yeah. that, which is just legendary soccer villain name, too. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's, let's, let's hope that she loves to throw elbows or something because she Perfect. can just be – I, Krista, and I promise you, she's not listening, but I, I, if you are listening, (laughs) you could be our favorite villain. Um, But I think she had been in the transfer process early. So it it does take a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, And already when Steph was still here, they weren't expecting a ton of transfers to come in because even though, as you said, in other sports and in college soccer, there is a lot of sort of quote unquote free agency. There wasn't from what Steph was telling us before, an incredible amount of depth in that transfer pool at the power five level. So I, I don't know that it'll have a ton of impact. And honestly, um, I don't think it will really impact the existing players either only because I think they'll all be really excited to sort of wait and see what happens. I think they, especially, I think people forget how hard it can be on a lot of these players to just be like coached really hard for several years. And what if they happen to get a coach who loves them now? I mean, like what if, what if they happen to get a coach just by random chance? We all have our favorites and, and less their favorites, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think a lot of these players are probably sitting there thinking, I really want to know who the hell my coach is. But also, what if the coach really likes my game? What if they yeah. tweak the system and I'm great at this position now? So I, I personally think there will be a lot of excitement once the hire happens. Um, and, you know, they had a really strong bounce back spring. And so I think a lot of those players are probably itching to get back uh, this fall. So who are the prime candidates to replace, uh, to replace her? I mean, do they go, do you think they go internal? Do they go external? Kind of give me a, give me a few names to look out for here. Yeah, we, um, so I did a show with Tom McGinnis, the senior associate athletic director, beautiful title, beautiful mouthy title. Yeah, for Tom. Seriously. Um, and he's been in the game forever. You know, he worked at 14 years at Ohio state. Um, he's been here for a long time. He directly oversees the soccer program. So he's right underneath Mark Coyle, the athletic director. And he's chairing the search committee. And, you know, I did a show with him and what he mentioned, I, what really surprised me is how much proactive recruiting he said they were doing um, because it makes sense. It's not crazy, but I personally thought of this job as sort of such a target that they would sort of get the applicants they want. I think what, what, what he was saying really told me is they're really going after a lot of, I would assume it means they're going after a lot of existing head coaches because I would assume 
assistants naturally want to jump up. But I, but I think someone who's comfortable, like for instance, one of our sources talked to us about Kia McNeil, who's the head coach at Brown. And she's like, seems to be like fairly young for a college coach, probably like in her early forties or something. Um, and she's just been winning a ton in the Ivy league, but also um, someone, just, you know, they just said she's a really impressive uh, coach. And so I think there will be candidates like that, that the department wants to make sure they have an opportunity to review. But I think to your original question, a lot of the internal candidates are folks that um, maybe go for offensive scenes. So for instance, um, Becky Maines, who got hired as Becky Fletcher and, you know, since got um, married to actually Lindsay Whalen's director of basketball operations, they're like an athletic awesome. department power couple. And yeah. I, as I put it in my piece, they have like the most adorable son of all time that they just adopted. <laughs> um, so Becky Maines is an assistant coach now. She has some head coaching experience, a lot of assistant coaching experience. She's um, she's well liked, um, and so she absolutely will be at least in the applicant pool. Um, I another candidate would be Crystal Seidel, who was the former associate head coach for the U of M, and she was also she's also U of M alum. Um, she is of her maiden name is Kalman. She's one of the many Kalman soccer legends in yep. Minnesota. Um, she's now the head coach at McAllister, but has been on the U of M staff a long time. I put in my piece that Crystal is like maybe one of the most revered and positively talked about people I've ever met in my entire life. Like not just a soccer yeah. coach. You talk to people about her and it's almost like too much. I will sometimes text her and tease her about it. I'm like, another person said they loved you today, Crystal. It's like, you're, you're we destroying had, me. We um, had Tori Burnett she, on the podcast and you should, and she was so oh, of complimentary of Crystal. So it, <laughs> it, yep. I got that vibe. Tori, right away. Tori, but you know what? Tori was just protecting her paycheck. Tori works for Crystal. <laughs> she was, just, of course she was just, um, got to protect but, the bag. I mean, got to protect I mean, the bag. I got to, got to, but Chris, you know, Crystal is so unbelievably respected for her ability um, tactically as well. You know, she really was someone who ran the press for the U. And that's something the U hasn't necessarily built back up since she left. I mean, her ability, though, when you have a good press, defensive press, it creates those low-hanging fruit goals that help you break those tight games. And that has been something they've been missing since she's been gone. And so but the interest, you know, so she will be another candidate. Um, and then Erin Chastain gets mentioned a lot because she's a Minnesotan. She's been the head coach at DePaul for a number of years um, and done, you know, at worst, she's been around 500, but she's had a lot of winning seasons as well. Um, she came in and beat the Gophers a couple seasons ago, and I interviewed her after the game. And she seems like a really uh, great personality, really has experienced coaching. Um, you know, the interesting thing Tom mentioned when I talked to him was also that uh, once the candidates are being interviewed, there really isn't that much talk about the soccer in part because whether someone can coach and has the ability to coach the game is what they use as part of their pass fail for interviewing someone. And so by the time they're in the interview process, which we're in right now, they're really not talking about X's and O's. And so yeah. And, and as a couple of times I've phrased it this way, uh, a professional coach who used to coach college soccer talked about changing to coach in the professional game, because when you're a college coach, coaching soccer is actually a small part of your pie. Like you are actually spending a lot of time 
making sure they do well academically, yeah. helping them grow as individuals. Like soccer only exists in the fall and then 20 hours a week. The rest of the time spent is like not X's and O's. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting because we don't get a sense of that as fans of sort of how does someone talk about matching the use values? How does someone talk about managing personalities? How does someone... T- so? I think there's going to be a few unknowns there. And I think, you know, I'll admit my own um, ignorance in, I don't know every single sort of prime up and coming candidate across the country. There are 330 plus D1 (laughs) women's soccer programs. And so I'm sure there's a lot of really strong candidates that frankly, none of us have heard of who um, are getting interviewed this and last week. Um, But those are the sort of inside folks that we do know about. What's the timeline look like? I mean, when you when you uh, talk to the uh, senior uh, athletic director mm-hmm. there, did he give some sort of indication in terms of when they expect to make a hire? Yeah, we had heard really early on that the initial goal was mid-June. Um, and then it seemed like that was slowing down because I kept talking to very likely candidates and they were like, haven't heard yet, haven't heard yet, haven't heard yet. Um, but now I actually think it's probably on track again. He had, he had mentioned when we did our show three days ago that they still wanted to get it done in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. so that mid-june time frame is important um in part because um recruiting opens back up so you need to actually be locking in your your recruiting classes for the following year so it does seem like that timeline is moving um which is you know really i think it's necessary i mean frankly they could have even gone faster if they wanted to um just because you also have to prepare for fall. I mean, like it's, mm-hmm. you know, the work doesn't stop and keep in mind this new coach will have to decide on how to fill out that staff. And um, I think there's actually a lot of existing staff members that any new coach should consider keeping on just because there's a lot of really strong staff that's well-respected across the big 10. Um, but that does, that's no guarantee. I mean, you don't know that. And so they will have to decide on who they hire and, and then keep working. If I were able to put down a wager, on who would be the next University of Minnesota women's soccer coach? Who would be the favorites? Who would have the best odds at this point, in your opinion? I I clearly should have been like grabbing beers and lunches with Tom McGinnis, the guy who was on the hiring committee more before this year, because I <laughs> he's a really nice guy and I see him at games all the time. But I feel like I never picked his brain about like hiring strategies. Yeah, um, I think. I think from the outside, if you're someone who has just followed the program generally or talked to alums or talked to whoever, um, I think it would be hard to say that Crystal Seidel is not the most likely candidate only because she's so widely respected. Um, she's an alum. She knows the program. She's a really, really strong recruiter um, and really strong tactically. So as much as I say they don't ask about soccer that much, Um, I think she's very strongly revered by alums and older players. I think the one twist there is most of the current roster didn't play under her. And a lot of the current roster has played under Becky Maines. And so I think there's a lot of players who really respect Becky, who really like her as well. Um, But I think if you had to take like a a low risk, the funny thing about Crystal is I would consider her both a very, very low risk choice. Like I can't see it going you know, like maybe she's not going to win you a national championship, but I can't possibly see it going super poorly. Um, but I also think she has a pretty high ceiling. So I, I would assume that that will show through in the interview process. Um, but, you know, don't sleep on Becky Maines. Don't sleep on Aaron Chastain. Don't sleep on, uh, you know, Kim McKeel, who I, who I mentioned from Brown. 
and then I think a sleeper. But I think if the, you had to pick a single person, I think it's it would be tough for anyone to say it's not Crystal just because um, she just has that tor- type of stature. Now, you guys have, uh, have grown a little bit here at Equal Time over the last uh, few months. Um, higher, your, your brother has taken over the WPSL coverage, among some other things. And Annie Williams actually is joining the team at Equal Time as St. Thomas beat writer ahead of their mm-hmm. inaugural NCAA D1 season in the fall. Um, Annie, uh, a South Dakota State alum who has played on multiple WPSL teams in the past. Mm-hmm. Now she plays pro in Iceland. Um, how did you initially get connected with Annie and how did she make the jump uh, to, you know, helping you with Tommy coverage on top of being an international professional soccer player? <laughs> yeah. And well, I mean, Annie, Annie is a beast. She's like one of the coolest people you will meet. Um, so she can handle whatever um, mm-hmm. in terms of juggling, playing and covering a team. I think um, I, I joked with Annie the last time she was on our show that she, I think she like by far has broken the record for appearances on equal time, just because, <laughs> You know, I, I interviewed her back when she played the Gophers when she was, you know, at South Dakota State. Um, I, you know, she played in Costa Rica during her sort of spring semester of her senior year. She played in Costa Rica again after that and then has since just continued to do really cool stuff as a player and a coach. And so I think um, she, you know, she reached out to me and just said, hey, you know, I, I've done some writing before in, you know, not necessarily sports stuff, but I know how to write. Um, I'm, I really love what you do. I'd be interested in, in joining the team. And at the time I'd already decided to bring Mark on to help cover, um, you know, other levels that, that I just don't specialize in as much. And when Annie mentioned that, I was just sort of through the roof just because yeah. um, she really knows her stuff. She played in the summit league, you know, her entire career, she was yep. a summit league star Um, And St. Thomas is joining the Summit League. And I think it was just a really good opportunity to um, have her voice be the coverage of that St. Thomas beat. And I think one reason we also wanted to add St. Thomas is just because a lot of people always lob questions at at me or the Equal Time account saying, why don't you cover this single college or this other college? And the thing (laughs) is, the thing is... um, you know, I want there to be sort of a reason and a logic to how we're expanding our coverage. I've always focused on the U because they are highest level women's soccer team. And I started from there. And then when women are playing pro, that's obviously incredibly high level and I want to cover them. And from there, everything else is just as we can do it. And so I think when St. Thomas started going D1, it honestly did uh, stress me out a little bit thinking like, we really should be giving this program a, a solid amount of coverage because they are playing, at, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, so I think, you know, I think St. Thomas is going to be, I think they're going to have a much bigger impact than people are, are expecting. It's not like they're going to be better than the U from day one. It's not about that. It's just that the summit league already lives and breathes off Minnesotans. There are last year, there were 39 Minnesotans on summit league rosters. Two summit league teams had more Minnesotans than the university of Minnesota. Like (laughs) that is how many Minnesotans are in that league. And now these colleges and St. Thomas are going to be able to say we're right here. Like St. Thomas will be able to recruit from the heart of the twin cities, but also every time, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, NDSU, SDSU, Denver, anytime these colleges come to play St. Thomas, they can talk to a girl in the Twin Cities and say, hey, come watch us. We're playing right down the street. Instead of having someone say, why don't you fly to Omaha and watch us 
watch us play a game, they can say, hey, come meet us in person when we're in town. Yeah. And I, I just think St. Thomas is going to impact the conference so much, not just on their own, but for other programs. Um, and so I just think it's exciting to have someone like Annie, who is so sharp, really knows the game, obviously is a great player and knows it from that side. She's still playing professionally. Um, but Annie, frankly, getting her was such a major coup um, for us just because uh, we want to be growing the coverage. We want to be doing more. Um, women's soccer deserves even more than what we're able to do now. And so, um, I am just like absolutely thrilled to have her on the beat. And, uh, you know, speaking of that expansion, we had mentioned Mark, your brother, one of the many things Mm -hmm. he's doing now for you guys is spearheading the WPSL coverage at equal time. Mm -hmm. And there was a match back in late May, but this past weekend was really the the opening weekend for the WPSL Uh Northern conference. Um, I know you're, I know your brother's the one kind of doing the coverage, but I know you've, you've, you know, you're very familiar with the WPSL. So if you could give us the cliff notes on this Northern conference, the history clubs and, and what we should be really, wa- really be watching out for this year. Yeah, honestly, um, if you haven't followed the WPSL before, it's not going to matter much. We have some really new teams. Um, you know, a lot of them came in either two years ago or this year or the year before that. And so Mankato has one season under their belt. Salvo has one season under their belt. Rochester and Man- or Rochester also has one season under their belt. Dakota Fusion up in Fargo. Um, they're one of the longer standing clubs. But really, this conference is super fun. I mean, Mankato beat someone seven to two. I mean, like they yeah. just are putting up goals. Um, MTA, Minnesota Thunder Academy, has a really, really strong roster. Salvo has a really, really strong roster. Rochester beat Dakota Fusion like 4-0. And so this, you know, the the basics of this league are that it's, you know, teams have to gather their players and quickly develop chemistry. And so that means there's going to be a level of parity just by the randomness factor of these players have not played together a lot. And so a lot of these teams engineer that chemistry by either Mankato, for instance, has whatever it is, nine or 10 Mankato State players, because division two, you can have as many players as you want. Mm -hmm. You can only have five division one players from one program. So they're sort of saying, fine, D1, whatever. We'll stack up on really, really good D2 players who all know each other. And frankly, it's been working. So, um, you know, they're really good. Uh, um, Maple Brook usually goes with a younger lineup, almost like they treat it as like a U19 team. So they have a lot of really good, really young players. um, And they're always super competitive. But I mean, honestly, my main thing to say about this conference is these games can be, they can be a little scrappy, like I said, because teams don't play together a ton, Mm -hmm. but honestly, the games can be pretty fun. I mean, there's a lot of back and forth um, and all the streams, almost all the games are streamed. So it used to be my Cujo. Now it's called 11 sports. Um, You can check our website for an explanation of like the app changed over literally like four days ago. It was was just super recent, but my Cujo is an app used by a ton of leagues um, worldwide. Um, so it's free, super easy stream quality is at least usually pretty good. Mankato state Mankato United has like a ton of pride in their broadcast. So maybe tune into theirs uh, and check it out. Um, but otherwise, yeah, the league is just a really good sort of way to, if you're a fan of a certain college program, you can just watch one of your players. You're curious about catch a game. Um, you know, if there's a random Kenna Beisman fan out there, they can watch Mankato United. She's playing for her hometown team this summer, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a fun league over the summer that creates a lot of opportunities for the young women. Yeah. Uh, 
you, you mentioned a few of the results. I mean, Mankato United and Minnesota Thunder both went one and one on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Thunder actually ended up beating Mankato three to one on Sunday. Rochester mm-hmm. and Mapleburg Fury drew one one in their only match of the weekend. Is it possible this early on, considering the layoff and everything, is it possible to have a gauge on who's who the favorites are or kind of where those teams kind of tier within the conference? I think I think if you had to choose now, you would say a lot of it honestly depends on which players play which games. Because uh, so, for instance, uh, the Mankato squad, like Jenny Vetter, I don't think played in this last game, and so missing like one of your best players if it's a league like this uh, can be a big deal. But I think if you had to choose on paper, Salvo has two midfielders who play professionally. I mean, Emily Heslin and Molly Fiedler are both on this team. Molly just came back from literally winning the Serbian professional league. Um, so they, and they have a ton of really talented young players too. I mean, Sophia Bowman, all the, all these, all these rock solid um, women are on that team. So I would assume on paper that they would have to be the odds on favorite, but Minnesota Thunder Academy has a really strong team. Maplebrook um, tied by Rochester is a big deal for Rochester. I mean, Rochester's bringing it. Um, they've really brought in a lot of Juco random d2 d1 like d3 players like credit to them i need to watch one of their games because they're bringing it um but otherwise i think salvo and thunder academy and mankato probably on paper have the strongest rosters and they've shown some ability early on i think it will depend on how much those star players are able to play throughout the summer because it's only like a 10 game campaign and so if you if you drop one of those games you really lose your shot so i would assume those are the teams to watch but honestly Fusion winning one of those games early, Rochester winning one of those games early, um, you know, Maplebrook always puts up a fight. Fire historically has been competitive. So I don't think there would be a bad game in the conference, um, but those are probably some of the favorites. Great coverage from Equal Time Soccer on the WPSL and everything happening in the world of Minnesota women's soccer. And this is honestly the best time you can start following and start supporting Equal Time Soccer with the W League, go for head coaching search, uh, WPSL getting started, uh, St. Thomas starting in the fall, D1. I mean, it's crazy how much there's going to be. And uh, Matt and the team at Equal Time there are going to be all over it. So go check them out, EqualTimeSoccer.com. Uh, they have a Patreon you can support as well. Um, and if if you're in the $10 tier, you get featured on the website, which is pretty cool. So definitely consider that too. Um, that's yeah. the, that's the real, that's the real hall of fame status right yeah. there, Jeremy. It, like people, people need to know that you really carry a badge around when you're on that, on that list. So if someone really wants to go high dollar and really spend some money, that that's where you make your money. You need like a, I made the list button that you could send people when they, <laughs> when they uh, subscribe to that tier and they make the website. That's true. That's great advice. This is why I keep coming back, Jeremy, because you really give me the best advice for sure. There you go. There you go. Well, we'll have you back again soon, I'm sure, for more great advice and more great coverage of women's soccer in Minnesota. Matt from Equal Time Soccer, at Equal Time Soccer on Twitter, and of course, EqualTimeSoccer.com. Always great having you on the show, Matt. Uh, Appreciate it. And thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Always happy to come in and really appreciate you amplifying the work. Thanks again to Matt Pervratsky, the founder and owner of Equal Time Soccer. Again, EqualTimeSoccer.com. And then uh, click the support tab if you want to kind of subscribe to their Patreon and support all the things they're doing, all the great things they're doing over at Equal Time, putting a spotlight on women's soccer here in the state of Minnesota. The only outlet really focusing on women's soccer in Minnesota. So go give them support if you can. 
Here's what's coming up in the world of lower league soccer this week and weekend. In the NPSL North on Saturday, Duluth hosts Dakota Fusion at Denfeld Stadium. Yes, it's Denfeld Stadium. I was corrected after last week, uh, or two weeks back, I think, calling it Denfield Stadium. My mother-in-law, actually, well, future mother-in-law. She's not, I guess, not my mother-in-law yet, but she basically is. Um, She uh, is from Duluth, and so she was very quick to correct me when I said Denfield Stadium. Denfeld Stadium, uh, so my apologies for that. Um, Duluth FC hosting Dakota there, 7 p.m. Also on Saturday, the first battle between two NPSL clubs within the Twin Cities Metro in quite a while since uh, we lost VSLT and uh, Minnesota Twin Stars. Joy Athletic obviously kind of filling that void, and Minneapolis City makes a short trip to St. Louis Park to take on Joy Athletic at Oriole Stadium. That match at 7 o'clock will be a big one there in here in the Twin Cities in the NPSL North on Saturday night. And then Sioux Falls will endure the long bus ride to Arcadia High School as they match up with LC Aris um, over there just north of La Crosse. Actually, I say just north. It's about 50 miles north of La Crosse in Arcadia, Wisconsin, uh, 7 p.m., the kickoff time for that one. And then next Wednesday, the in-state rivalry is renewed as Duluth and Med City square off for the first time this season. That'll be up north at Denfeld Stadium. So a couple of home matches for Duluth this week. No travel for them. That match on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Moving over to the UPSL North, UPSL Midwest Conference West Division. On Saturday, Rochester and Vlora square off at Rochester's RCTC Stadium. That's at 7 o'clock. Granite City and Minneapolis City 2 will go head-to-head there in St. Cloud at St. Cloud Tech High School. 7 p.m. kickoff for that one. Doubleheader on Sunday as Dakota Young Stars and Inter-Minneapolis go at it. That's over in Sioux Falls at the University of Sioux Falls Sports Complex. 5 p.m. kickoff there. And then the nightcap on Sunday, Turbo Sports hosting Brooklyn Knights at Seafoam Stadium on the campus of Concordia St. Paul. That match at 7 p.m. And then Monday, we get a little Monday night UPSL action this weekend. Uh, Vlora and FC Minneapolis. Uh, Vlora looking to get a little revenge after uh, the City Lions knocked them out of the Region 2 Amateur Cup quarterfinals. Um, That match actually taking place at Burnsville High School. So not the normal uh, home stadium there for Vlora. Burnsville the uh, hosting site for that one, 7 o'clock on Monday night. Now in the WPSL, the Women's Premier Soccer League on Thursday, Minnesota Thunder and Fire SC 98 will square off at Academy of Holy Angels. That's at 745. And then on Saturday, Dakota Fusion and Minnesota Thunder will uh, do battle there in in Moorhead at Jim Gota Stadium, uh, 6 p.m. the kickoff time there. Rochester United and Salvo at Spartan Field in Rochester, 7 p.m. kickoff there. And then on Sunday, Maplebrook Fury and Fire SC 98 there at Maple, Bro- Maple Grove High School, 7 p.m. kickoff time. And then the week match week two uh, wraps up on Wednesday with Mankato United and Rochester at Bethany Lutheran College, 7 p.m. kickoff there. Moving over to Wisconsin now, the WPASL, three matches on Sunday, the usual Sunday triple header in the WPASL. First at 2 p.m., it's Lobos and Hayward Wolfpack at Merrill High School. That is going to be a big one. That is the premier matchup in the WPASL this weekend. FC Menemo and Spartan FC at Burst Street Soccer Field at 3.30. And then Barron welcomes Poskin Jets to the Burst Street Soccer Fields as well. I guess Poskin Jets are in Barron too. So kind of the Barron Derby, I guess if we want to call it. With, uh, with those two squads, uh, Birch Street Soccer Fields at 6 p.m. there. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Ford Madison on Saturday, home versus Richmond in the Henny Derby. If you can't make it out to Bree Stevens Field, that match will be on ESPN Plus at 7 p.m. 
p.m. No fun segments this week. Uh, like I said, short week for me. Just wanted to make sure I got this content out there. Great interview with Matt for you to enjoy. Uh, just making sure we covered all of our bases with letting you know what happened and what's coming up in the world of lower league soccer. Um, so we appreciate the support. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at 10 Pitches. Make sure you check out 10kpitches.net to check out all of our recent episodes. And if you haven't subscribed or left us a rating and review, please do so. We can't thank you enough for the support. We appreciate it. Thank you to Stimulus Athletic. Thank you to Ninth Street Soccer and Coffee as well. Uh, we will catch you next week on 10K. Have a great weekend.